Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. If you listen to some people, they say the end is near. It, it's, it's fast approaching. If it's not the end, well, then it's got to be the beginning of the end. You know, Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, he, he makes this, this statement about the end of time is near. The end is near. Matter of fact, he says the end of all things is near. And so they think that he made a statement because that was written almost 2,000 years ago. And obviously Jesus has not come yet. So Peter must have been mistaken. He didn't know what he was talking about. But he was right in line with all the New Testament writers who believed that, that Jesus was going to come. He's not talking about the doom and gloom that politicians announce or that the media announces. He's talking about the return of Jesus. There's a time when Jesus is going to return. He just talked about this last week in our sermon. He said that everybody's going to live and they're going to be judged. They'll be judged either by, by man for the works that they do here and they'll be judged by God later. And so he said, so the end, the end of all things is near. Now, what Peter meant by that statement was what they call the, the imminent return of Christ, but not necessarily the immediate return of Christ. What they say is that the New Testament writers believe that Jesus could come at any time, but he may come at another time. But they lived their life with the understanding that Jesus could come immediately, immediately. But he might not. But that's the way they live their life. Let me ask you a question. Do you live your life as if Jesus could come today? Do you live your life that Jesus could come at any moment? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. As we continue in our series on timeless truths in troubling times. We are living in some troubling times. Just like the people of the New Testament during the time of Peter, they were going through some troubling times and they needed some bedrock truths that they could hang on to in the midst of these troubling times. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. We'll look at these words under how to prepare for the end. Listen to what Peter says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Three truths I want, to, I want you to have today. The first one is to prepare for the end, be right with God. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is near, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The therefore points back to the first sentence. The end of all things is near. Because it's near, therefore, here's some things you need to do. Here's a mindset you need to have. Peter says that we ought to be clear-minded and we ought to have self-control. In these difficult days, these troubling times in which we live, we ought to have a clear head. Here's what he's meaning about that. When you focus on the difficulties, when you focus on the troubling times, when you focus on all the problems, it may cause you to lose focus on God. 
the troubling times that we live in may shake our confidence in God. Some of you have allowed difficulties in your life. Some of you have allowed testing and trying times to shake the foundation of your faith. Just this week, I've been texting with a, with a young lady, and she's been uh, texting me some problems that she's going through, and she keeps saying, nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, you know, I, everybody hates me, everybody's out to get me, and I keep pulling her back. I said, you need to quit focusing on those things and focus on the fact that Jesus loves you and that Jesus cares for you, and he has a purpose and he has a plan for your life. But you see, that's what we do. We allow the troubles of our life to help us. To keep, we won't be focused on what we should be doing. We should be focused on Christ and what he does, has done for us. Don't let the problems that you're going to distract you from God's amazing love and his amazing care for you as one of his children. He says, not only be clear-minded, he says we ought to be self-controlled as well. If you tie that into verse 2 uh, in chapter 4, uh, there, Peter said, don't live for your evil desires, but live for the will of God. He said, don't live your life to satisfy your worldly desires, but live to satisfy what God would have you to do in the way God would have you to live. He's saying this is how we are to control ourselves. We live our lives under control so that we won't fall into those traps and those temptations. Why do we do that? Why should we have a clear mind? Why should we be self-controlled? Paul says, or Peter says, so that you can pray. Remember, every time you see that phrase, so that, so that thought into your mind, he's telling you the reason you're to be clear-minded, the reason you're to be self-controlled is so that you can pray. You can pray. Have you ever thought that your prayers might be hindered by your mindset, and by your actions. I remember hearing the story uh, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that prince of preachers a generation ago. Uh, he, was, he told a story about when he was a young boy. He said him and some of his buddies were running around and they found an unlit cigarette. Uh, I know this is a very dated story, but you'll get the point, an unlit cigarette. And so they picked it up and they began smoking it, passing it around from boy to boy. And then he saw his daddy coming down the street, and he knew that his daddy would not approve of him smoking that cigarette. So he took the cigarette, and he hid it behind his back, and then he saw a sign on the wall that said, the circus is coming to town. So to distract his daddy, he said, Daddy, 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 can I go to the circus? And his dad said, Son, never make a petition to your father with the smoldering disobedience behind your back. Here's the point. How often do we go to God asking him certain things when we have disobedience that we're trying to conceal from him. Rebellion that we're trying to conceal from him in our mind, in our thoughts, or in our actions. And we should never petition our Father to do something for us when we have a disobedience that we are trying to hide from him. Peter is telling us that a right relationship with God, we ought to have a right relationship with God so that our prayers will not be hindered. We have to make sure that we're clear-minded and that we're self-controlled by the way we live our lives. And in so doing, God will hear our prayers. And we're going to need that. When the times get really hard, they're not even hard yet. When the times get really hard and they get really difficult, we're going to need to be able to go to God and pray for God to help us get through these times that we're in. So prayer 
can be used to keep us standing strong in the midst of the time of the troubling times that we experience. So prepare for the end, be right with God. Second, to prepare for the end, love one another. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. Above all, above everything you do, above everything you do in the church, everything you do in life, make sure that you have love for everyone. Why is that? Why should we have this type of love? Because there will be times when we will not be clear-minded. There will be times we're not self-controlled. And we need to know that there's a place of encouragement and there's a place of support. We need to know that there's people that's got our back. We need to know that I may, I may mess up, I may flub up, and I may do some things that, that I don't want to do, but I know there's a group of people that I can always come to, and they will love me, and they will care for me, and they will support me in this difficulty that I'm going through. They will still love me, and they'll still care for me. In verse 7, Peter talks about the Heavenly Father. Now he's talking about the Heavenly Family. The church is your heavenly family. The church is your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same faith. We have the same baptism. We have the same spirit. We, we have the same, same testimony. We have the same foundation in which we build our lives upon. And then he gives us four characteristics of this love. The first thing you see about that, he says, love each other. Our love is to be reciprocal. Our love is beautiful. It's not enough for me just to love you. You have to love me back. It's not enough for you to love me. I have to love you back. It is be reciprocal, something that is, uh, that, that's a priority. Here's the thing, my friends. Listen, the church is a laboratory of love. If you can't love brothers and sisters in here, how are you going to love a lost world? How are you going to love those people out there that do not think the way you do, do not behave the way you do, do not act the way you do, do not dress the way you do, do not uh, have the same theology, the same political views. How are you going to love those people? If you can't love the folks in here, how are you going to love the world? This is a laboratory. This is where we, we put our love to the test and see if we truly can love one another. He says not only is our love to be reciprocal, but he says there is to be the depth to our love. Look what it says. Love each other deeply. It's a profound love. It's a deep love. There's depth to it. This word used for deeply is a word that we, in, in Greek, for stretch out. Uh, it means it extends itself above what would normally be capable. Imagine an Olympic athlete running a, a race. It could be the 100 meter, the 200 meters, 400 meters, what it is. As he gets to the end of the line, you know, they got that tape across it. He lunges forward with everything. He stretches it out beyond what he should to make sure he gets the, the line. That's what it means. When you love somebody, you stretch it out there. You go beyond the normal limits to make sure that you're loving the people the way you should be loving them. It's, it's going beyond what is normal. Some of you probably heard the poem years ago. It said this, to dwell above with saints we love that will indeed be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. The fact of the matter is, there's just some saints that are hard to live with. There's just some saints that they just aren't lovely. Uh, there's some, some uh, Christians I know, they're just obnoxious. Uh, there's some Christians that I know that uh, they're just cantankers. You ever been around those people? 
They just cantankerous. No matter what you do, you might do 10 things right, they focus on the one that you did wrong, and they complain, they gripe, they, they bicker, and all this stuff. You know, that they become bitter, and, and they're fussy. It's just hard to love those kind of people. It's hard. But nevertheless, what does it say? Love stretches beyond what is normal. Love stretches beyond what is normal, and you love them anyway. After all, isn't that the way Jesus loves us? His love stretches and loves us, and loves us. We ought to be the doing the same thing for that. So there's our love is be reciprocal. There's be the depth of love. Third, he says our love is be forgiving. Notice what he says. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Why do we need to have a forgiving love? Because you're going to get hurt. The more you hang around people, the more they're going to hurt you. The more you hang around people, the more they're going to disappoint you. The more they're going to, they're going to lead you to get frustrated. But he says you ought to forgive them. Now, that's not mean you're condoning what they're doing. It doesn't mean you're, you're condoning their, their sin. It means that you covers it. That's what it says here. He says love covers a multitude of sin. Here's the thing. Satan loves to expose sin. You see, hate will always expose. Love always covers over it. God loves to cover our sin. He does not broadcast our sin. He doesn't advertise it for everybody else to see. Sometimes Christians are, seem to enjoy broadcasting the sins and failures of other people. They look at themselves as being private investigators. And they look into your life, and then they go and say, do you know what so-and-so has done? Can you believe they did this? They're, they're broadcasting it to everyone else. I remember uh, I had a friend of mine who pastored a church, and he, he, took, he took a new church, and, and at the church where he was going, things were going well. You know, they were reaching their community. There was excitement in the church, and, and he made somebody mad in the church, made one person mad in the church. And so this person decided, well, I'm going to get back at him. So he, he travels out of the state, go back to a former church where he served, and dug up dirt on the pastor, then came back and thought he'd broadcast it to the entire church. You know what happened? The pastor left, split the church down the middle. But he did his job. He broadcasted it to everyone else. You know what Jesus does? He covers them. Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus covers all of your sins? He does not broadcast it for the world to know, and for everyone else to know. When we broadcast people's sins, you know what? We're more like Satan than we are like Jesus. Now, you don't condone it. You don't condone what they're doing, but it means that you love them in spite of the sin. Why do you do that? Because they're family. They are your spiritual family. And God's Word says that love covers over a multitude of of sins. Now stop and think about the practicality of this, this statement. If we are living with the end in sight, would you want Jesus to come when you are full of anger and animosity toward a brother in Christ? Is that what you'd want? So think of the practicality. Remember, if Jesus is coming very soon, how do you want Him to see you? Not broadcasting sins, but loving people. Loving them. Not only are we in love to be reciprocal, there's be depth to our love, our love is be forgiving. He said our love is be hospitable. Look at verse 9. 
offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality in the New Testament is one of the greatest ways that you could demonstrate your love. It's one of the greatest ways that, that you say, hey, I love you and I care for you. You have people, you had people in your home and you, and you practice hospitality. That's one of the things I'm hoping we can do next week as a spiritual family. We can get together and practice hospitality and love one another, enjoy a meal together. Hospitality. And especially when the... When troubling times really come, especially in the end times, depending on your view of the end times, can I just tell you, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So there will be times that we may have to take shelter in someone's home. There may be a time that we have to find hospitality in someone's home. And what does Peter say? He says, when, they, when, when you have to be hospital, don't complain about it. Don't grumble about it. One of the things that that my wife and I have enjoyed doing is we have a group of college and young adults in our house on Tuesday nights. And very early on, they didn't quite know that we were old and we needed to go to bed early. And they would stay late into the night. And we'd be looking at our watch and tapping our feet. And they were just having a good old time. We loved it. We loved it. They're a little bit more respectful now. And, and they let me get to bed at a reasonable hour. You know, I mean, they're young people. They, they stay up till 2 or 3, you know, and get up at 5 or 6. You know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So the point, but the thing is, we love it. We love being hospitable and using our home that God has blessed us with as a blessing toward other individuals. That's when you become like a real family. When you open your home and you share a meal and you share fellowship together. And I, you know what I like to call it? I just call it doing life. You're doing life together. And you learn from one another. You sit there and say, what are your struggles? Hey, I'm struggling with that too. Hey, can I pray with you, man? Hey, I'm here for you, man. You got a problem? Give me a call anytime. That's what I'm here for. That's called doing life. Can I just tell you, we don't do that in the church well. I think we're learning from the younger generation, but, but us older folks, uh, we're hard to learn that stuff from. Uh, you know, we don't want to do it. Spend time with one another. So to prepare for the end, love one another. Third truth. To prepare for the end, we are to use our gifts to serve. Look at verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Every child of God has a gift. You may have more than one, but you at least have one. We're talking about spiritual gifts here. The Greek word is charismata, and it's the gifts of the Spirit. It's uh, when we think of uh, charismatic. That's where the word comes from. Oh, my Lord, we're Baptists. We better not get charismatic. We think of charismatic, I mean somebody raised their hands in church, right? We, we, we would never do that. Uh, we would never raise our hands in church. But I, I got to think about that. I said, you know, when you have your little, your little one, 18 month or, or 18, 18 month or your two-year-old son or daughter come up, they see you and they run up to you like this. What do you say? Get your hands down, you little charismatic. What do you do? No, you welcome them. You, you bring them up in your arms and you love them. If we who are sinful know what's best for our children, how much more does a holy God know what's best for his children? If we love our children, how much more does God say, praise me, let, let me take you in my arms and love you and love you. I'm not saying we, we do it. I'm just trying to say, but when we think of charismatic, that's what we think of. That's not what it is in the Bible. It's gifts of grace. That's the, the, the grace gifts that God gives you. And every one of us has some type of gift 
that God has given to us. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Every believer has one. Remember several, several years ago, the, the government shut down. Y'all remember when the government shut down? And they shut down the government, and I remember hearing on the news, they said 800,000 non-essential personnel in the government have lost their job. Now, I'm pretty simple. I said, if they're non-essential, why are they working for us anyway? Here's the point. I want you to know, in the church, there's no such thing as non-essential personnel. Everybody in the church is essential. Everybody in the church has a part to play, an important role to fill. Our spiritual gifts are not toys that we play with. They're not badges we wear as, as a thing of honor. They're, they're not something we hoard for ourselves. They're not given for our benefit. They're not given for our enjoyment. The gifts that we have are tools to build with and also tools to, to bless other people. This is why he gives us these things. And everybody in this congregation has some type of gift. You have some type of spiritual gift that God has given to you. Notice what he says in this passage. He says, really, when you're using your gift, he says, you're actually sharing the grace of God with others. He said, you're administering God's grace. Now, Peter singles out two of them. He said, speaking and serving. I think that kind of narrows it down. I think he kind of says, if you're, if you're talking or you're doing, if you're talking or you're doing, make sure that you're talking and make sure you're doing is administering the grace of God to other individuals. Whatever gift it is, you always hear me saying in the church, we are blessed by God to be a blessing to other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. We need to remember that God gives us these gifts, these talents, these abilities, first and foremost, to use them within the church. Now, I'm not saying you can't use your gift or your talent outside the church. You can but let's just, let's just run with this a little bit. Let's suppose that you have this incredible gift of numbers. You know, I don't necessarily have a gift of numbers. You know, I can add, I can subtract, I can, I can multiply, I can divide. Uh, don't get me into algebra. You know, I, I still don't know, why do you want me to find your X? You know, uh, numbers and letters, they do not mix. I said, just tell me what the number is and I'll solve the problem. No, I don't want to find your X. Go find it yourself. I, I don't get involved in that. But, you know, I can add, I can subtract, I can divide, I can multiply, I can do statistics, I can do those type of things. But let's suppose you're somebody that's very gifted in numbers, in accounting, in bookkeeping. Who better to serve on a finance team than somebody that knows how to crunch numbers? Let's suppose you, you, have a, uh, you make your living in the food service industry. That's a real popular trade nowadays, food service industry, hospitality. Who better to serve on the hostess and hospitality committee of the church than people that know, know about uh, it, creating that environment, about customer service? Who better to do that than somebody that understands customer service? You, know, uh, you, you could think of any other things that we could do. Let, let's suppose that you're a teacher. This is one that always gets me. We have these people that have been gifted with the talent of teaching. They make their living teaching. Well, I'd never use my gift in the church. Who better to teach our children than those who are gifted to teach? God, use that. Use that gift that God has given you for the benefit of the church. Suppose you're a landscaping guru. Do not call me. If you want a plant to die, send it to my house. It will die. Okay? 
You know, either water it too much, I don't water it enough. I said, make up your mind. You want a lot? Of, I can't figure it out. You, know, you water them every two days. You water them every three days. You don't give them any water. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It will die at my hands, okay? But maybe you're not that way. Maybe you're really good at landscaping. You may not make your living doing that, but you're good at landscaping, and you're good at interior design, and you just have a good eye for that. Who better to serve on properties and space than somebody that's got that gift and got that talent so we can plug them in? The point is, whatever gift God has given you, out there, you can use it in the church. Matter of fact, you should be using it in the church first. Any gift you can use outside these walls, you can put to use inside the walls of the church and vice versa. Any gift that God has given you to use in here, guess what? He can use it out there. That's the way God works. If you want to really enjoy life, if you really want to get in life, Begin to look for ways that you can be a blessing to other people. Do something good for someone else. I've been, I've been having a, a couple of, last two months have been pretty rough on me. It doesn't matter what it is, it's been pretty rough on me. I've been a little down, a little, a little downcast and stuff like that. And I got a call a couple of weeks ago that my daughter Madeline wanted, some, wanted to, me to come up, wanted Gabby and I to come up and help uh, put a fence in at her house. I said, man, you must really be desperate if you're calling me. You see, the extent of my construction experience is demolition. I can tear things up. I just can't build anything. But thanks to Ken Orr and, and Bob Bellflower, I've been sitting underneath them, their tutelage, and I know kind of how to operate a drill and, you know, some saws and things like that. So I guess she thought maybe I'd be somebody I could help. And I've never built a fence in my life. So uh, I went up there, and my wife went up there, and it was rainy and dreary and yucky. And I went up there, and I had a lot of people helping put the fence in, but they needed somebody to dig up post holes. I said, yeah, I know. How on my list? Post holes. You know, because they were using existing posts. We had to pull them over and pull them over. So I dug them up, pushed them over. Then we had three that we literally had to dig up out of the ground, in the mud, in the yuck. I worked myself to death pulling them up. And we got it done. Here's the thing. The whole time I was working on that, you know what? I never once thought of my problems. I never once thought about what, what all the difficulties I was going through. And I want you to know, so they'll be the same way with you. If you will give yourself away to another person, your problems will not look that big. They will not look that bad. Give yourself away. That's why God gives us these abilities, these talents, whatever they might be. And here's the thing. Do something good for someone who can't do anything in return. In other words, you know, they can't pay you back. That's when you're really getting into this idea of serving. Why do we do that? What's our motivation to use our gifts? What's our motivation to serve others by using our gifts? Because we're always motivated by something. What's our motivation? He tells us in here. He says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. No, I'm sorry. Look up. Faithfully ministering God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that, there's that so that, here's the reason you do all those things. In all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Why do we do? Why do we serve? So God can get the glory. So God can get the praise. Everything we do is for God to receive the benefit of it. We do it for the glory of God. Listen, if you would live your life every day to bring glory to God, 
you will be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. I'm not talking about he'll make you healthy, wealthy, or wise. I'm talking about you will be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. Can you honestly say when you get up in the morning, God, I want to give you the glory of my life today. God, today, in every word I speak, I want you to be glorified. God, in everything I do today, I want you to receive the honor. I want you to receive the praise. Lord, everything I do today, I want the people around me to get a little glimpse of God by the way I live my life, by the way I prepare for the end that's coming. We should live, we should love, and we should labor as if Jesus was coming today. That should be our goal. That should be the way we live our lives. Now, for those of you that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are living in a dangerous time. You're living at a time when Jesus could very well come. And the Bible says that when He comes, He's going to, all those who have followed Jesus, He's going to take to be with Him. And all those who do not know Jesus will be spent eternity in hell. The end of all things is at hand. If you do not know Jesus, today may be the day that you could come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. An opportunity to respond to the good news. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask the, well, let me ask everybody. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation, give you an opportunity to respond to what you heard. If you knew that Jesus is going to return at 1 o'clock today, you don't know that, and I don't know that, okay? But if you knew that Jesus was going to come today at 1 o'clock, how would you live your life for the next 30 minutes? What would you do differently? I have some people I would want to call. Because I can't imagine spending eternity without them. But how would, what would you do? You see, my friends, that's the way we as Christians should live our life. We should live our life expecting that Jesus could come at any moment. And when we live that life, guess what? Guess who gets glorified? He does. Not us. In a moment, we're going to give you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. I'll be here at the front. Marcy's going to make her way down. The praise team's going to come and lead us in a closing song. I'll be here at the front. Maybe you want to pray. Maybe you want to talk with somebody. You always have Marcy here and myself. Maybe you're more comfortable talking with a woman. That's fine. We're not here to broadcast anything. We're just here to pray for you and let you know that God loves you. And he's passed a perfect plan for your life. Whatever decision you make, we're going to invite you to come. Maybe it's to receive Jesus. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you want to know more about this church. We can tell you that. As you stand to your feet, would you join me as I pray? Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this time that you've given to us. To worship, to gather, to give, to pray, to be encouraged, Father, and also to encourage other believers. We pray now, Father, that you would speak to our hearts during this time, that, Father, we be ready for you to work in our lives, Father, so that you can receive the glory and you can receive the honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
and for His sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Join with us as we sing. If God is leading you to make a decision, we invite you to come.